Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. My name is Amato, and with me are... Sailor Tori. Um, planetoid Sailor Dom. <laughs> Still Sailor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, not one of those planets, but one of those, like, uh, long string name asteroids that's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, well, then I'm going to be Sailor Copper Rabbit. <laughs> Fair enough. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> I like that. Missed opportunity that there wasn't a Sailor Copper Rabbit. Sailor Pooping Duck. <laughs> no, it's metal something. So like Sailor Zinc yeah. Pole or something. Well, yeah. I was thinking of the, the old automata that was like the Pooping Duck, one of like the early, you know, uh, robot type machines. It was totally fake. It was like, <laughs> there was this whole thing where they, like the chess playing Turk. Never mind. We we don't need to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> Just one of the, like, it was an amusement. Like, the, the you feed the duck something and it will actually poop, even though it's right. like a machine. But it was all just pre-planned and not real. So welcome back to the premiere Pooping Duck podcast. <laughs> Old Pooping Ducks. Yes. Tori is tired and doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> what, are, what are we talking about today? We're going to try to perk you up with some extremely non-depressing stories. Uh, yeah. Our fan fiction for today is a Sailor Moon story called Distant by Green Beans. Um, Green Beans, you know, probably not their given name. Probably their uh, internet name, I think. I think they, it's the name of an old English folk song. Oh. Doesn't it say... Green oh. Beans. <laughs> it says in our um, our supplementary literature what mm-hmm. their given name was. Oh, that's right. It does. It does, I guess yes. it's public knowledge. Um, because we do also have a supplementary piece of literature called Queer Sailor Moon Fan Fiction Saved My Life, which yeah. is a zine that I've never read, but I just read and I found amazing. So I've, I've got to say, Queer Sailor Moon Fan Fiction Saved My Life is an extremely clickbait title for a zine. <laughs> yeah. It's also a very light yeah. novel-like title, I think. <laughs> light novel? That would be good, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're coming at this story with three recommendation directions. One is that I read this back in the day. Green Beans was a fairly well-known author. I definitely read Distant. I read some of her other stories as well. At least the first season or two of Bishoujo Senshi Sailor Orion. And, um... You can't be I, Sailor of a Star, right? At this point, they're kind of mass-producing them. Oh. Like, it, it's Crystal Tokyo, and they're all, like, kind of just yeah. assigned. <laughs> like, someone becomes Sailor America just because, like, they're that American. <laughs> I always tried to create a Sailor Earth when I was younger, because I was like, why isn't there a Sailor Earth? But I guess that's Tuxedo Mask. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, cosmologically, that's correct in the Sailor Moon right. you know, cosmology. But I still feel like there should be like an actual Sailor Scout. You and everybody else in the world, which is why <laughs> I could find a hundred fanfics about a Sailor Earth, you know, immediately. Yeah. Right. And I think I read Green Beans' Final Fantasy VIII prequel fanfic about Quistus. Um, Quistus? Is that how you say it? Mm. That's what I remember. Aerith? It, <laughs> yeah. Ma- mana? Quistus, really? Mana? Mana? <laughs> I've been saying Quistus for my whole life. Is it Q-U? Q-U. I-S-T-I-S. Yeah. I, I guess it's up for debate. <laughs> it's one of those things. <laughs> okay. Well, this story, Distant, is, I think, the most well-known work by Green Beans. It's translated into Spanish and Polish on the author's website. Hmm. Uh, sorry, missed opportunity for someone to practice their Spanish or Polish. Yeah, I would have liked to read this in Spanish. Mm-hmm. But I like reading it, most things in the original because I feel like it has the, I don't know, the, the flavor the author intended. Yeah. So I remembered it from back in the day. It's also recommended online at places such as Best Sailor Moon Fan Fiction on the Net, which is a go-to resource for me. And then in looking for books about fan fiction at our local library system, like you do, uh, I found that they had a copy of this zine that Tori mentioned in their zine collection. Now, it's not actually a copy of the zine. It's a photocopy of the zine. But, you know, close enough. You may not have been able to tell, Dom and Tori, because I photocopied it again for you. But it originally looked like this in the library, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Real so, zine culture here. So it's a photocopy of, of the photocopy. Yes. But it still has the soul in it, right? Um, yeah. I mean, the soul just, just splits indefinitely. Oh, like a Horcrux. <laughs> you do have to kill someone every time we make a copy. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem environmentally efficient. Well, it depends on what you kill. 
<laughs> it depends on how much uh, carbon dioxide it emits. Right. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a carbon-based life form. Now, we read both of these for the podcast tonight. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? Want to talk about the story first and then the uh, zine that discusses it? I think so. That, that's how I read them. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. That seems fair. Yeah. Uh, like you said last week, in order that they were written. <laughs> in a, a release order, yeah. Right. Public release order. order. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this fanfic, Distant, it's about Haruka, that is Sailor Uranus, Uranus, Uranus. <laughs> Uranus is good. Um, <laughs> and it's pre-series mostly. It's like a you know prequel kind of backstory thing. It's kind of funny because Haruka's the one... I mean, you don't get anything on like Michiru or, you know, much, much less Pluto. You don't really get any backstory on them, but Haruka has like an episode that sort of vaguely touches on it. And, you know, she has a little bit more already, which is maybe why it's easier for people to work with her or because she's so cool and everyone likes her yeah i i think it's because people relate mm. to her character like i did very strongly as a kid mm. well why don't you talk to why don't you talk about that a little bit before we get into the story itself right hmm. yeah well you know we've talked so much about all of our backgrounds in sailor moon i don't think you need to, like, dig that far, except I loved Sailor Moon as a kid. But what is this? Because uh, this fanfic is all about Haruka. So yeah. what does Haruka specifically mean to you? Yeah, so, the, the, you know, that that's the thing, is it's, like, that's the thing I haven't talked about in this podcast, is, like, there's so much. Like, when you first watch Sailor Moon in the dub, they make Haruka and Michiru cousins, but I always thought they were the coolest characters, mm-hmm. you know? And there's this weird thing in their relationship where you're like, something's, uh, there's something <laughs> about this. And then, of course, the internet came about, you know, a few years later, and or at least I had the internet a few years later, I was able to look it up and be like, oh, they're like, actually in a gay relationship. And, but like Haruka always kind of spoke to me as a character because that's how I was growing up, like the tomboyish one who does everything that boys do. And I really looked up to her as a character because she was like a race car driver and all the girls thought that she was cute and they like didn't even know she was a girl and I was like oh my gosh that's like totally something I wish I could be except it's like not possible for me to be that cool (laughs) but I think you know like I always wanted to cosplay her but I always kind of felt like maybe it was too intimidating to like even try to be as cool as her character seems to be how many rose petals appear (laughs) when you enter or exit a scene Tori (laughs) Zero to one. <laughs> Just one rose petal. <laughs> yeah. And second question, would you murder an innocent person, let's say an innocent child, uh, to save the world? You're really going to ask me that on air, Amato? <laughs> yeah, yeah, We need this on the record. How Haruka, how close are you to this life goal here? Well, I think the proper answer um, is, yeah, you have to murder an innocent child to save the world. That's not a world I want to live in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a meteor-type quote where in, in that yeah. Super S special, she's... She calls the villain on their incredibly transparent bluff about, like, oh, if you attack me, it'll release this evil that'll destroy the world. <laughs> and he just, like, attacks him. And he's like, how did you know I was bluffing? And she's like, I didn't. I just don't really care if I can't say if, like, yeah. if Haruka's dead, I don't care. Right. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely flaws in these characters, which is another good point. And something that was something, like, I always kind of butted heads with is they, they sometimes seem very cold. Oh, yeah. Well, they're supposed to. They're, they're supposed, supposed to be, to. like, yeah. you know representative of making the the cold hard choices well, well right. you know they're, they're outside the asteroid belt so they're a little bit further away from the sun so they're colder they're just colder okay. yeah <laughs> that's but, why mercury has the ice powers and <laughs> yeah whatevs jupiter is something outer planets i don't know whatever yeah <laughs> giant ball of gas but lightning power whatevs technically on the other side of the asteroid belt and therefore an outer planet <laughs> right yeah don't worry, that's been done in fan fiction also. Yeah. So the point is, this story <laughs> is Haruka backstory. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of dire stuff for a lot of the fanfic. This, you know, this fanfic is, like, kind of everything I feel like I needed when I was, like, 12 or 13. Hmm. Going through a lot of those questions of identity, except that... It, it like I relate a lot to Harker's experience in this because this is like her coming of age kind of s- a story for her. I like an origin story for her 
basically being like the awesome butch lesbian she is. Well, the format of the fanfic is that it keeps on flashing between um, two continuing points of time. Mm-hmm. One, when uh, Haruka is an uh, independent um, high school student and other points, of, various points in their um, uh, uprising in their childhood. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it, it's not always the clearest that it's going back and forth there. I mean, you pick it up pretty quick that, like, if her parents are around, she's not living by herself in Tokyo beginning to attend, you know, mm-hmm. Mugen Academy. Right. But it took me a little while to, like, realize that that's what was going on mm-hmm. all the time. Um, so childhood first, I guess, chronologically, right? Basically, she's got two parents. She's got a dad who's a baker, but, like, a baker who also has kind of reached the point where he's, like, running multiple bakeries, I Is think. Is there a canon for Hargo's parents? Heck no. <laughs> you learn practically nothing about any of these characters. For the main characters, you have to squint real hard and look carefully to learn anything about their families, except maybe, you know, Usagi and Rei. Wait, does Usagi have a dad? Usagi does have a dad. He just disappears by the end of season two. Okay. (laughs) He's like a nice guy who bakes things, right? I don't remember any baking. He's he's just a salary man. I'm wearing an apron or something. I mean, maybe he does. Uh, But her mom always wears an apron, so maybe I'm getting the two confused. She has one conglomerate parent. Yeah. (laughs) So what I'm saying is, for anyone besides Usagi and Rei, who has a grandfather, but, like, any other details about their family, even for the mainer characters, there's practically nothing. Not and in the anime. There's not not like, in the anime. In the manga, there's more parental details bit with more. Ami. And a little more with Rei. Yeah. It's addressed more. Yeah. But you never learn anything about the family situations of the outer senshi. They're too cool to have actual backstories and to have come from anywhere. Wait, was Pluto born? Well, <laughs> I mean... You do know enough that in the anime, like, who knows? In the manga, she dies and then is retroactively reincarnated in the past. So mm-hmm. maybe, probably. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no, it's weird. Like, this is maybe the only point of Sailor Moon that was always, like, a little bit off-putting to me. Is, especially with the Outer Senshi, they always feel like a little, like, alien, you know? Yeah. Like, they don't really have parents or family situations. They're they're completely independent despite being teenagers, like... They don't have parents, but they do have helicopters. That's the Outer yeah. Senshi. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> is that the literal term of a helicopter parent? <laughs> <laughs> The heli- they, yeah, the helicopters <laughs> replace the parents. I think okay. we may have just cracked the code of their backstories in, <laughs> in canon. So what you're saying is, is that there's no official canon for Haruka's um, family life or backstory. None whatsoever. Even her flashback episode doesn't address like her family situation at all. Mm-hmm. It it covers the later part of this fanfic of like her kind of being at school, in high school, living independently, racing cars somehow already. <laughs> I mm. remember that from like one episode. Yeah, and no, I don't think they came back to it's it. It's a thing. No. And that's another thing they don't explain is like, how is it that we have this 16-year-old Japanese girl racing, you know, in like... Was it like Formula One or something? <laughs> I, I forget exactly. It's it's not Formula One because Japan does something different, I think. Mm. But it's some equivalent. Right. Yeah. Well, this story tries to address all of that. Right. And I, I think it does it fairly well because it, it does give, uh, first and foremost, a lot of details about Haruka as a younger person, her relationship with her parents. And yeah. these are the flashbacks that she's having. Yeah. Um, how her parents affected her. And then also, like, how she came to start racing which is also a good story. So so her parents, she's got Baker Dad, who is fairly chill and a little bit conflict-avoidant, especially in, like, the family situation. Mm-hmm. And mostly is just kind of supportive of her and loves her and is like, maybe you could try to get along a little bit better with your mom. Um, but also to the mom, maybe you could try to be a little bit easier on Haruka. Right. And the mom's this, like, super controlling career politician. Um at least at this point, I believe Haruka mentions that like she only got into politics within Haruka's own lifespan, you know, not not before she was born, but like when she was little or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, her mom being way into presentation, gender norms and family presentation, she's pressuring Haruka a lot to like do feminine pursuits and have feminine outward appearance and that kind of thing. Yeah, it, and it gets to the point where, like, Haruka overhears them having conversations, and her dad it kind of slowly builds more to a supportive place, but her mm-hmm. mom is always like, I didn't want a daughter like this. Like, I, I wanted a daughter who's going to be feminine and who is going to, you know, do all these things that I, I did or I expected her to. Why should I support my daughter in doing yeah. 
like all this stuff against our wishes. <laughs> yeah, and actually how it starts is like a flashback of getting in a fight at school cuz actually all the boys would like beat up on her because they thought she was like a spoiled privileged princess and she used to have really long hair and her mom would make her wear dresses. So she get in fights because people were bullying her for being like a privileged princess. It's the opposite of how she felt that she was. And something that happens is like Haruka's just this place where she's like, her mom will get mad at her because she's like, why are you being tomboyish and getting into fights? And she's like, it's because you make me dress this way, which is not how I want to dress, and it's yeah. not how I want to look. So it's... It's because oh. I'm, I'm uncomfortable in this, and people can pick up on that, and that mm-hmm. causes issues. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of... I think that's probably true, how that that's, plays out. I don't know if she specifically says that, though, but... Well, like, uh, Haruka I, plays a lot with the boys, Mm-hmm. And so then her mom dresses her up in pretty dresses and long hair, and that causes um, the boys to be antagonistic about it. Right. But I think what she also says is, like, if I wasn't wearing dresses, I would just kick their asses, and this wouldn't be a problem. But I'm trying not to, to like, get the dresses, you know, yeah. dirty, because her mom gets so upset about that kind of thing. Yeah, so, like, in the earlier, it's kind of like the flashbacks build as their own story. Yeah, they do. So, like, earlier on when she's younger, she's trying really hard to do with her what her mom wants, and her mom's still getting mad because people are picking on her which really isn't her fault but then like slowly she just kind of accepts more and more who she is and starts to fight back and not without a great deal of pain she also kind of accepts that like she is never going to get approval from her mother Mm -hmm. you know and be a person who she is um there's this whole scene at one point like they go to a child psychiatrist because you know from her mom's perspective it's like please tell us what is wrong with our daughter and the child psychologist I don't know how accurate this is to, like, early 90s Japanese child psychologists, but, like, right. is really on point and, like, very supportive. And it's like, <laughs> nothing's wrong with your daughter except that, like, you know, just support her in what she wants to do. She's fine. And then the mom's like, no, no, no. No, tell us how to make her do these things. Right. Right. And, and like, so the mom really doesn't get it. Yeah. Right. Just flats out, well, well, you failed. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, Tori, that also towards the end of, like, that those flashback threads, it does build to kind of introducing her interest in racing. And, you know, by the time you see her in the anime, she's, like, into cars and motorcycles and mm-hmm. super fast cars mm-hmm. and motorcycles. Oh, yeah. Also, like, a, a thread through this is that starts pretty early is she starts running mm. for track, and she talks a lot about wanting to be like the wind and just wanting to move as fast as possible. And that's what draws her into racing motorcycles and cars. This is straight out of the um, Haruka flashback episode, Mm -hmm. by the way. It's like, back then I just wanted to be the wind is like the first line that opens that episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to leave behind like all this other stuff. Yeah. And this, this creates kind of a through line, which is nice because it helps connect all of the extra information we're getting. So like we didn't, get in the source with the source, right? Like, with her feelings. So her feelings are able to expand from this idea of racing and moving fast. And it eventually builds to kind of a point. Um, she's meeting... When she meets Michiru, she's trying to run away from her. And I don't know if we want to, like, go this far to that point yet. Uh, if you got that thread, go for it. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. the, the thing is, nothing else really interesting happens in the the more future, closer to the TV series part. It's just mm-hmm. like, well, you, we know she needs to be living in Tokyo and attending Mugen Academy, and that's what she does. Yeah. And, like, she, you know, she goes on the track team and she meets Michiru, and, like, that's kind of where things have to go. And that's more the ground that was trodden by, like, the small amount of information we have in the series anyway. So if I haven't made you lose your thread, go ahead and carry no, it forth. No, no. I mean, I was going to say is that there's a lot more in this that I, re- I do really want to touch on because it's emotional and it's personal. It's really relatable. But as she moves through her whole history here and development, going from, like, you know, cutting her hair, racing, accepting who she is, she's still trying to run when she meets Michiru. And she's... So in this place of, like, not... Like, she kind of realizes she's gay, but she inherently thinks she's unlovable. Basically because of the trauma she has from her mother. Well, not just that, but her her first time kind of trying to confess to a girl apparently went disastrously and, like, resulted in, you know, her that other girl's parents getting involved and, like, it being a huge embarrassment for everyone. And And it was like... Yeah, the conclusion that Haruka came out of it is that, like, 
romance isn't worth it. Shut it all down. Let's not feel anything. Right. And so that's where the like the racing and the running thing comes in is because mm-hmm. when she meets Michiru, Michiru comes on to her really strongly. Michiru mm-hmm. understands they have mutual destiny. Haruka's like, I'm just going to move. Like, I'm just going to run. She tries to run as far away from Michiru as possible. Well, this is also, and... this is a really interesting thing about this fanfic. Because the scene where they meet after the track meet is from the Haruka flashback episode. And the scene where they talk on the boat and Mitra's like, hey, like, I'm seeing these visions of the world being destroyed and it's your destiny to fight alongside me. And Haruka's like, fuck that, I'm not, I'm not into that. And Mitra's like, you think I want to do that either? Mm-hmm. That whole conversation is also straight from the flashback episode. Mm-hmm. But after that, it diverges. And the author notes that at the end. They just yeah. have it end differently in this fanfic than it does in that episode, which is a very unusual choice. I feel like either, usually authors are either like kind of all in on canon or not. And this is like close. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just kind of unusual. Yeah. I, a lot of times we talk about how fanfic authors take parts from the series mm-hmm. and then use the part they like and keep on having to use the whole thing, including a bad part or something they don't like. And we keep on saying, why don't you just keep the parts you like and change the rest of it into your own story? And that's what this author actually did. <laughs> and, and you seem like yeah. unnerved by it. <laughs> it. It's just, it's odd. I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just you don't usually see it, and therefore it's kind of surprising. <laughs> um, so in the in the anime, Haruka wanders into like a diamond and like is forced to pick up the pen to save you know Sailor Neptune who has come to fight it. Mm-hmm. And in this, they kind of just go and talk mm-hmm. and um, confess attraction to each other, and like you know that's kind of what draws Haruka into it, right? Yeah. Um, it was the whole, like, not believing that, well, first of all, not wanting to serve this higher purpose, uh, but also just not, like, trusting Mitra. She's like, this, nah, like, that's, that's not me. You got the wrong person. Like, all I want to do is, like, run like the wind and go fast and go away from this and no one's ever going to love me. But it's... She's got to go fast. She really does. <laughs> no. Faster. <laughs> faster. Faster. But yeah, no, uh, it was, yeah, it seems like it's Mitra, like expressing love for her allows them to have like a, you know some sort of like physical intimacy and then and the, her to sort of accept who she is and right michiru powers through haruka doing everything to push michiru away as yes. hard as possible right and yeah. that, that's the through line you were talking about tori is that you know haruka feeling unlovable which is very very true to haruka's character as presented in the anime mm-hmm. it's like that i mean you know in the anime it's more like i am unlovable because i have blood on these hands Okay, I don't technically have blood on these hands, but I, I'm planning on having blood on these hands really soon. Like, mm. it's that, like it's like glitter or something, right? When you kill a demon or a magic yoma creature. Uh, yeah, they turn into moon dust in the dub. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's more the self hatred in the anime, but in this, it's more self hatred about like her orientation and her presentation and all that. Mm-hmm. So, th- but the self hatred is a very like Haruka kind of line, and or Haruka kind of you know character beat, and therefore the through line here, like you said, is. Michiru accepting her for who she is and loving her for who she is and like that being a very, very big deal in Haruka and her life. And that leads us pretty well into the content of the zine that we had as a supplementary reading here, Queer Sailor Moon Fan Fiction Saved My Life. And let's see, does one of you want to go into the contents of the zine? Tori as resident zinester, perhaps? (laughs) (laughs) That's the official title, zinester. Isn't it? I guess, yeah. I don't know. I mean... Zinster, Zinster? What I was talking about off-air before this is that I kind of lost the whole... The zine thing in in cartooning. Zines, to me, are in many ways kind of fading. Like, with cartooning, it's moving more towards having, like, a publishable product that's, like, really clean and clear, at least in ways, as a book... And cartooning even is is less zine focused, but nonetheless, I'm still I still like to publish my comics like they're just you know little chapbooks, which is fun. This zine is super cool. Um, I assume it came out about six years ago because the author mentions being about like thirty. They mentioned being like twenty seven in this. The author said that there were ten in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, there we go. So, so they're 87 then. 
Yeah. So about and my, then my they age. mentioned That's being 27. Exactly my age, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, they mentioned being 27. Where they mentioned that they're, no, they mentioned their sister who's six years older than them is 33. So anyway, point BA. One of them left a train going west, one of them left a train going west. <laughs> uh, so this, this came out about six years ago. Um, yeah. It's really cool. Um, I'll stop leafing through it because you can hear the pages <laughs> turning and it's probably not desirable. Tell us why it's cool, Tori. But what I like is it's kind of a simple zine. It's a, a, just a series of personal essays about, it's called Queer Sailor Moon Fan Fiction Saved My Life. And the title page has an, the author illustrating themselves, I assume, saying, I never thought I'd admit this, but it's true. Queer Sailor Moon Fan Fiction Saved My Life. It's okay. You can laugh. And I think it's funny because they talk about fan fiction and they talk about exactly the same things that I have come to with this podcast where like fan fiction is like a joke to our culture. Mm -hmm. And until I came to this podcast and was like, I want to talk about fan fiction. I didn't actually realize like how important it was to people surviving from trauma. And this was something they, you know, they talk about using that fan fiction as an escape from the like the rural areas, like being a lesbian and like in the rural areas they grew up, and not having anyone supportive, they say like right. in their corner during mm-hmm. like a very key period yeah. in their life. Yeah, it really hammered home to me that like to get that kind of acceptance in fiction or you know in a community online, like it was not easy to find, and that's mm-hmm. how the author says that's how I ended up being a fan of characters from like a Japanese TV series I'd never watched. <laughs> Right. Online. Yeah, they talked about how the purpose of fan fiction in these fan communities were for people that didn't have their own place because there was some sort of minority in the majority culture trying to carve out a space for them to be okay. Yeah. And essentially, like, rewriting the contemporary narratives yeah. in order to create a fiction that fit themselves and created a place for them. And this this author does a really good job of describing that. Now, Distant is the fanfic that they talk about the most and, you know, have an excerpt from in the zine and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it, you know, it's really powerful thinking about, like, they were 12 or whatever, 14, a teenager, a young teenager. Mm-hmm. And, you know, queer and having no support and feeling unloved and feeling unlovable mm-hmm. and reading this story about those same issues ending mm-hmm. in, like, you know, and now, like, there's someone who loves me and we're super badass. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really great. Uh yeah, and you can see why that kind of resonated with the author. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there just kind of needed to be some fiction about those topics that ended okay and not just used to yeah. fridge mm-hmm. people or punish people or <laughs> destroy characters. And where the author starts is with, like, CPTSD and how they had an abusive stepmother and a changing family situation when they were, like, nine, I think. And how there's very few memories from that year because that's what trauma does is we block out the things. But using those vignettes and those flashes to talk about like why their eating disorder developed and what that trauma looked like for them. But how having just something, anybody, like anything like to support them in being, I guess, unusual for where they were living or or was just... uh, I don't know, save their life is what they say. So, I like how it's kind of the characters of Haruka and Michiru are kind of a one-stop shop for, you know, various of those needs. <laughs> My favorite line in this is, you know, she discusses how, like, later on in, in Sailor Moon, they get to be, like, queer parents in a, you know, three-parent mm-hmm. household raising a child. And at one yeah. point in the zine, the author says... My like my feelings towards Haruka and Michiru were complicated. I wanted to kiss them, and I wanted to be them, and I wanted them to be my parents. I'm really glad I don't have to be a teenager again. I would say like, being yeah. 12 sucks. I mean, being 12 sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really relatable because it's like, you know, I, I was thinking about, I didn't get to see the arc where Haruka and Michiru were parents until I was a little older, like mm-hmm. maybe in my late teens. But I can definitely see wanting them to be your parents, along with Pluto, too, along with Setsuna. Like, they're all such, like... Yeah, someone has to actually do the housework and be the responsible one. (laughs) They're all so cool. You want them to be your parents. But, like, 
you know, by the time I saw the this seasons where Hotaru was like a little kid again, I was uh, old enough to like be like I'm the age of Haruka and Michiru. So, mm-hmm. but I always wanted to be those people too, and I actually alternated between wanting to be Haruka or Michiru too because I I thought they were both so cool, but like I played the violin when I was young, and the dub name for Mitri's character is, like, my birth name. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was always, like... And she has the aqua blue hair, which is, like, my favorite color. <laughs> but it was, like, I really thought Haruka was, like, more like me, you know, the tomboy, and was closer to my natural hair color and actual haircut at the time. Anyway, point being, hair means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hair is very important, yes. I was always alternating between wanting to be those archetypes, but they were both just strong women, and I think that's why they're so important. Mm-hmm. strong queer characters. Apropos of nothing, the author does talk about another type of fan fiction, which we haven't really touched on in this fan fiction in uh, which we haven't really touched on in this podcast at all. And what boy band type fan fiction is it that they discuss in there? Spice Girls. Spice oh, Girls. Spice Girls. Oh, not, not boy band. Girl band. They, the author started of this band. This, this zine started by saying there was a lot of boy band like fanfics at the time, but right. like they never got into boy bands at all, which is the opposite of my experience. But I also love the Spice Girls, so there we go. Mm-hmm. And also, they talk about how their favorite Spice Girl was Jerry Hallowell, Ginger Spice, also my favorite. I mean, I started out liking Sporty Spice best, but I switched to Ginger because she's like the underdog. Mm. It's not right. I don't know enough about the Spice Girls to know who's kind of what? the prominent and who's kind of the underdog in terms of popularity. Well, Ginger was the first one to leave the band. Hmm. And she was always just like not necessarily having an archetype like the other ones. Like everybody else had like their role. She was like Ginger. Like that's just because she was a redhead. <laughs> like it sort of felt like she could do anything she wanted. But what the author talks about is that she was kind of like a smart, empowered woman using her sexuality to kind of get ahead. And that was the appeal of, of her as a character because they all kind of play characters as Spice Girls. Yeah, but that's the thing about like this. She was like the mature one to me, I guess. That's the thing about this like real person fan fiction unquote is that on the one hand, like I, I've never gotten into it so it feels so foreign. It's like writing about like people, mm-hmm. but I feel like a lot of time this real person fan fiction gets written about people who have a public persona and therefore kind of put on a character. Yeah, like, this is celebrity yeah. fan fiction. Celebrities are a character, more or less. To well, the... to greater or lesser extents. But, like, the Spice Girls, absolutely. Yeah. Boy bands, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, all of those people have really, like, performed. Yeah, they, they, they had names, they had character traits, they were a prepackaged um, story, basically, right. they were selling you along with the songs. So it makes perfect sense to, like, take the Spice Girls or, you know, take boy band members and write stories about them. Right, especially it makes sense for the Spice Girls because they even had their Spice Girl names, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. Baby Spice, Posh Spice, Sporty, like, they all Grumpy had Spice, character Spice, Spice. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Doc. Doc Spice. <laughs> no, just Doc. <laughs> Transaurus Spice. Pterodon Spice. Pumpkin Spice. <laughs> Limited edition. That that'd be the the relaunch. That'd definitely be character. <laughs> <laughs> Only appears on Halloween. Uh, I I could write a Spice Girls fan fiction about pumpkin spice right now. <laughs> okay, but can we just pause for a second mm-hmm. because it should be called pumpkin pie spice. Because it's not the only spice that you use for pumpkins, mm. right? Yeah, that's true. And also, there's no pumpkin in it. Yeah. It's just the spice for pumpkin pie. It should be called pumpkin pie spice. End of story. Do you also get angry when people say ATM machines? Just a little bit. (laughs) Well, I don't know about boy bands or girl bands or most bands, but we'll get to Beatles at some point. Well, something else they mentioned that was interesting in this zine was that, like, people tended to um, look down on, like, boy band, girl band fandoms and also Mm -hmm. other fandoms that are attributed to, like... um, being popular with young girls yeah as like they try to as like the culture just tends to like trivialize that as being frivolous and vapid and empty and that anybody taking it seriously is themselves kind of yeah yeah i believe this is something i brought up and when we talked about sailor moon before is like the girls doing girl things has kind of been looked down on it seems kind of basic to me but like at the same time like this having 
this uh, zine having been written, you know, like uh, probably six years ago, maybe that wasn't as much in the cultural purview. But like, yeah, like the whole thing about media for teenage girls being a vapid pursuit. Sure, look at the the so. first two mega fandoms as they're categorized in terms of like output on the internet, which was Harry Potter, mm-hmm. where like it got incredibly popular and like your average person was probably like, it's weird that Harry Potter is so popular. Mm-hmm. And then Twilight. And your average person on the, the street was probably like, it's terrible that Twilight is so pos- popular and it's the worst and like it's so dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Twilight got a lot more backlash than Harry Potter did. I mean, they both probably got some book burnings and such, but, like, you know, in terms of kind of general attitude towards, like, whether it's okay to like it, the one aimed at teen girls was the one that got, you know... More ridiculed. More ridiculed. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's always been the case in our culture. And they kind of tied that concept back to the um, ridicule at fan fiction culture in general. And Mm -hmm. just talking about how this, again, this is just a space carved out for people to exist. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah. goes back to the fact that historically and demographically fan fiction is mostly a female pursuit. Right. Yeah, I was going to say that we've spoken about that before. But yeah. like in that's passing. part of and the ridicule. It's like uh, it all ties back to misogyny in some way. It's really funny though because like, you know, one of our guests at one point they were coming on, I think told me like it's it's cool that like you're heading up this fan fiction podcast and you know I ident- identify male. Uh, because I don't think of guys being into fan fiction. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Because, like, it hadn't really... I knew intellectually that, like, oh, yeah, you know, most fan fiction writers are women. But I hadn't really thought about it. Because growing up, I feel like the fandoms that I was into had a lot of male authors. And I just never shook that general impression that, like, oh, there's tons of guys into fan fiction writing Harry Potter and Sailor Moon in the 1990s. You know, I think that's really important. Oh, sorry, I mean Robin one half and Sailor Moon. <laughs> <laughs> that might be really important territory to explore, though, because we've talked like kind of around the idea that there are more women interested in fan fiction. Mm-hmm. But what this zine, especially, and also this fan fiction does for us is bring to the forefront of like why. Yeah. women have been more involved in fan fiction. And that's because women are more marginalized and it creates, like this author says, that room to escape and create those identities for themselves. Like, no matter what, in a, a man is going to have that one extra layer of privilege. And the author even talks about being, you know, a white... Uh, well, they, they say cis, but then I think they crossed out and said non-trans, but I don't really understand why they would do that because cis means Mm non-trans anyway um being like a white non-trans person allowed them to actually have certain media they could see themselves in but then they talked about how people with even more layers of marginalization did not have that so to me it's like well yeah you start with the the most obvious social layer of marginalization, 50% of the population being, you know, identifying as women, like, there you go. Fan fiction as a vehicle for creating spaces to see ourselves when media doesn't do that for us. That's probably why there's more women doing fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And the, the only... they needed more. Yeah, but the only funny thing to me is, like, I don't know if there's more, like people of color doing fan fiction. I don't know if... I don't know seems, anything about that either. Yeah, like, but, like, that first layer, it makes sense. And, and this author of this scene does does well in identifying that. Mm-hmm. Now, we rushed through the content a little bit tonight because it's late and we're tired and possibly drunk. We had a bunch of uh, techno bugs. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we did. And we have physical bugs, too. That's true, too. We also <laughs> all have colds yeah. simultaneously. Unrelatedly. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we hang out with each other or anything. I mean, I, I wouldn't hang out with you here if I didn't have to. I just need people to talk to about fan fiction. That's the only reason I have friends. <laughs> well, it's nice to know we're part of this inclusive community with you. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel so seen. If I didn't put in the work to maintain these friendships, who would I talk to about fan fiction? <laughs> I don't want to talk to people on the internet. That's weird. <laughs> Doing stuff on the internet. Right. <clears throat> uh, I don't really know what the internet is. <laughs> uh, the point is, we kind of zoom through the fanfic a bit. Is there anything we want to circle back around to, just in general, before we maybe start wrapping things up? It was uh, just 
well written in tone. I think it was it just was. very relatable. But I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's general or just sort of special circumstances or similar enough. Yeah, no, it's pretty well written and you know relatively short. It probably could be even tighter, but like it's good. Um, th- this author goes into Christianity a little bit, right? They mention a cross. Yeah. Mention a cross. Is that all they do? Uh, they I'm... also mention, like, why would God want me here? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's because Haruka is seen wearing a cross on a couple of occasions in the anime. Mm-hmm. And obviously, right. she's the only character who ever does. And it's obviously completely unremarked upon, because why would we go into anything about the characters in Sailor Moon? Um, especially the non-inner senshi. I-, I can forgive them, because they all dress amazingly all the time. <laughs> yeah, they have pretty great outfits. Yeah. Are you a fan of Haruka's mustard suit, though? <laughs> Mustard's not a great color. <laughs> no, it's She makes not. it work. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, well, maybe I'm confusing it a little bit with Awakenings Part 2, which is the other thing I wanted to mention, is that Green Beans, in an author note at the end of the fanfic, mentions that she was inspired by and drew details about Haruka's background directly from another fanfic, which right. is um, Awakenings by Tim Nolan. And, like, that's where the dad being a baker comes from, among other stuff. Yeah, also the um, uh, driving uh, coach, right. I guess you would yeah, say. Yeah, who sort of gets that her. That character comes from. Helps uh, her get into yeah. uh, racing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because she says her introduction to the Outer Senshi was through that fanfic before yeah. the anime. And it's, you know... <laughs> 90s anime culture where like actually getting episodes to watch was difficult Mm -hmm. so you took what you could get which was maybe screenshots or maybe transcripts or scripts if you were lucky if you're lucky an rm file yeah if you're lucky an rm file (laughs) and um and fan fiction or whatever like one of my first my probably first sailor moon episode not on tv in passing was the first episode of Stars as an RM. Mm. And, like, I could barely even read the subtitles. I, could, I couldn't really tell what was going on. And, like, the first yeah. half of it is mostly just, like, some characters I don't know talking. And I was like, I guess this is cool. <laughs> sound, mm. Yeah, the whole bunch of sound and visual artifacting mm. all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea what's happening, and I can't even see it, but I guess this is cool. <laughs> Kids these days, they don't have to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get their anime. They really, really don't. They really, really don't. <laughs> they mentioned in the zine that uh, they had that day just torrented a season of Sailor Moon and sat down and watched it in like one day. <laughs> right. And back then they just like couldn't watch it. Period. It just wasn't an option. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and even now, um, you can stream better than, than you can torrent, I think. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that too. I was like, the author's trying to point out that nowadays their access is so much easier, but it's like even from this like six year gap, it's so much easier even in our time. Yeah. Another six years and we'll just be downloading Sailor Moon directly to our brains anytime we want. Oh, uh, please. <laughs> we can download other stuff too, probably, right? Uh, well, you could, but it'll be easier to find Sailor Moon than anything useful. More useful. <laughs> More useful. Okay. <laughs> she also makes a call out to Hitoshi Doi. The summary to episode 106, which is the Haruka flashback episode. Back in the day, basically, you just went to Hitoshi Doi's website, which was a guy who wrote up summaries of all the episodes, and that's all you really had to go on. <laughs> on the whole internet. Hmm. Fun times. Fun. Just very nostalgic. Yeah. Also, it wasn't that fun. <laughs> it was only fun because you felt like you were breaking like new unexplored ground. You were like, ah, oh, this anime that like there's so little information of, but I learned mm-hmm. a thing about an anime today. Let me tell you all about it on the schoolyard. Hmm. Yeah, I, I had that on online yeah. trying to find out information about um how to catch Mew and Pika Blue. Right. Yeah. Stupid truck wasn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly how to catch Mew and it was called Game Genie. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That too. But that Surfing Pikachu game was fun, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, then, before we wrap up this slightly shortish episode, anything we want to complain about in the fanfic? There's just... There's so much to say about this fanfic. And it is really well written. It's just there's this, this nagging thing. Like, I know we haven't gone over all the plot points, but, like, mm-hmm. I guess there's this main through line that, like, 
Haruka's trying to understand through her flashbacks who she is. And, you know, like, she's becoming, a, like, kind of the quintessential cool butch lesbian. Which is neat because we see her struggle with, you know, having a mom who's enforcing basically the opposite on her. The mom is unwavering. Like, she's just like, no, I will not accept a daughter who is not, like, a perfect princess. And it's pretty clear that that's the opposite of what Haruka is. So there's a little bit of, like, very intense juxtaposition. But I also find it to be relatable. Yeah. And then the father slowly comes to support her. However, I think my one, like, maybe thing that bothered me was that there's, and this is kind of a hard thing to, like, really talk about because this is so much of a, a butch lesbian experience for sure. And I get it. But it's also, like, there's sort of um, no acknowledgement of, like, any potential, how do I say this, a potential trans narrative, like, she's not trans, and and that is important, but the story doesn't, and probably because it's older, doesn't acknowledge, like, gender is anything other than, like, the genitals you're born with. So it's really, it's hard to say this is a criticism, but it is something that makes me feel uncomfortable, because there's several times where Haruka, like, she goes to school for the first time, and they could only assign her the boys' uniform because she's too tall, I guess. No, Haruka chose the boys' uniform. Well, there, well, that was part there's of there's it. There's two things. There's the flashback yeah. where it's yeah. like a size issue, and then there's the, oh, the right, present right. and movement in the academy present. where she chose it. Yeah. I think it was in the present. Was in the well, ha- anyway. Haruka re- requested the boys' uniform. Anyway, the scene that I'm talking about is the one where she's in the locker room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was, was in the present. And at, on the first day, everyone thinks she's a boy because of the uniform. But she goes to the girls' locker room and she starts undressing. And the girls are still like, you're so cool for being in here, even though you're a boy. Which I'm like, mm. um, that doesn't <laughs> sound very cool, but okay. But then finally, she just gets so angry and explodes that she's a girl. And well, I understand where this is coming from. I also feel like there could be a more deconstruction of that normative, you know, biological binary. Like, I get what she's trying to say in many ways. Because I guess I sort of felt like that when I was younger, too. But it's a hard feeling to revisit because it's like you're basically being told to defend something that isn't really real. You're being told to defend the idea that you're a girl, even though you're rejecting everything that girls are quote-unquote supposed to do. And I would like the idea of her, like, defending being a butch woman more than I would like the idea of, like, y'all assumed I was a man. Well, I have boobs. Ah, it's like... I don't think that's quite the tone. You know? Right, but but I see there's no questioning of what being a girl means to Haruka. Or, like, why that would be important to her or whatever. Correct, like yeah. That. Like, her being assumed to be a boy is never something that's bothered her until this point where she becomes very angry about the fact that people assumed it, even though they had, like, you know, according to the social norm, every reason to assume it, and, like, she kind of knows what's up with that. However, I think it's fair because she does identify as a woman. It's just, I don't think there's enough examination within her own head to, like, support her explosive reaction in that situation, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I thought it was an appropriate reaction. It's a very stressful moment at the time, and it's about something mm-hmm. private that you don't want a whole giggling class of people talking about it at the moment. Absolutely. I just think that I would have liked to see more there. Like, I don't think the reaction... I understand the reaction. I just would have liked to see her, like, have more introspection. Have that be more of a thread, that angle. Yeah. It would have been better if we were in Haruka's head a little bit more during that scene, Mm -hmm. I think. This is also probably a product of this being written in the 90s. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, not not to be apologetic for, like, everything or, I mean, to wave it all off. But it's just, like, you know, I'm sure the author... Did not e- was not even thinking about you know the trans experience or you know those sorts of options you know or how right. how to address those issues in the slightest. Yeah, uh, that, that doesn't sound like a, a praise or whatever. But <laughs> no, I, I guess what all I'm saying is that like I completely get where she's coming from, 
because this binary of like gender presentation is being enforced on her. I just mm-hmm. wish there was more exploration of that because on the surface of the story, the emotions around it are very clear, but some of the exploration is lost in the background noise. Mm-hmm. And it's fair because I think a lot of us growing up, like we didn't have the context, the things written at this time, like I would have written the same thing in that era I think I, some I probably of it did. Also gets lost know? because they balance between the two different timelines. I was going to yeah. say it's kind of hard to keep that growth continuous through two completely separate experiences at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit too much bouncing because I mean there are through lines in the character growth, yeah. but it, they're not so strong that it really needs to be what do you call this interwoven uh, narrative format. Like you could have started off in the present and had an extended flashback and returned to the present or something. That it was just less back and forth because the scenes aren't that long. They kind of go. I, I found it a little bit difficult to keep um, as engaged as I think I could have with some kind of different structure just because of the shifting back and forth so much. I think if it felt like they focused on one or the other more and had the other one feel more supplemental, it'd be easier to understand. Yeah, and I think most of the stories in the past, you know, the... Uh, compared to the present, mm-hmm. and that that would be like a, kind of the natural one to focus on. Well, what about praise as we are finishing up? I think it was a good exploration of the uh, childhood in that mindset. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's pretty strong. It has a good emotional core. I I kind of appreciate Tori. You mentioned just how like the mom is like not having any of this, is not supportive, is like not understanding, and I feel like. There's a temptation in a story like this to have there be some sort of reconciliation or step towards reconciliation or step towards understanding, and there isn't. And I kind of, not with the mom, like the dad does have a bit of growth from kind of like, everything's okay, right? Like, everything's okay, I support you, whoever you are. Yeah, the resolution with the mom was that the mom's going to keep doing whatever they're doing, Harka's going to do whatever they're doing, they're just not going to be in contact anymore because it doesn't help anybody <laughs> and i appreciate that yeah like because that's very true to people's experiences with family members yeah like that happens and it's real rough and you know the author did not try to like water that part down it's just like her mom was an oppressive force in her life and needed to be cut out eventually yeah it yeah. also wasn't taken too dark or tragic either no it wasn't yeah it, it was kind of rough and uncomfortable but it wasn't it wasn't unreadably dark or like overdone. It, it came in that out sense. pragmatically okay. I think. Yeah, yeah. That was something I was gonna say. Is is that the, the author just kind of went with, you know, a really good consistency of emotion, like telling a very real story of this character who one parent will never accept them, and that the other parent kind of grows to give love. And so you can see the juxtaposition. But, yeah, with the mother, it's not like, I don't know, it's not like she's evil. It's like you can almost understand her viewpoint. And the father even says, like, you both are very similar people, you know, strong-willed and... Mm-hmm. Um, stubborn. Yeah, and stubborn. And it's like, but the, it's a real story. But it's just like, yeah, some people, you just have to cut out of your life if they can't support you. And it's just, it's done well and shown to be, like, consistently not supportive figure um, in her life. And I just think that's done really well. Why yeah. do you think the title is Distant? It's a literal translation translation of Haruka's name. Uh, her, like, her, what do you call it, sponsor, erasing guy person you know, at one point, it's like, your problem is you're too distant. Like, you need to let people in to your mm-hmm. life more. And she, she, she lets a few people in, but I think he's talking more romantically. So I think yeah. it's kind of like that that idea of closing the gap towards um, him with Michiru, of, like, opening herself to destined moon love. Yeah. At the end of it, the, the like, the last line of the story, I'll pull up really quickly here, is, like, talking. It's, it's her um, racing coach talking about how basically she says that that's my girlfriend about Michiru and he's like well I, I don't know if I, I'd really prefer you to be a lesbian but I'm just glad you're happy mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like a very like 90s yeah. male attitude that's like accepted it's like okay whatever at least 
he's trying to understand sort of thing. And then her, her dad kind of like, has the, that same direction. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I'd rather you weren't a lesbian, but since you are, I support it's you. Since I, yeah. And it's like, I, I it's like, you know, that's, in, that's in this day and age, we can expect more, but back right. then I, I get what they're going for. Well, I think this attitude but, is called supportive baby boomer. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't have chosen anything, any of this, but since we're here, you know. Exactly how my dad was for years, years and years, and he's now gotten a lot better, and I'm really proud of him for that, but at least it started with that. Like, I feel like it always starts with that. It's like, I don't know if this is what I want for you, but I still love you and support you. <laughs> so, like, it has to start there, whereas I think with her mom, it's, like, not so much. Anyway, the last line is, um, you know... Well, last paragraph. Hugo smiled at him. It was a heartwarming smile. Always before, there was some hesitation, some sadness. Now, now she had found someone that filled the void within her, someone who had closed the distance. Uh, okay. So I think it's about that running thing and creating distance from others and Michiru, like, being a person who closes the distance. Because I was wondering if the distance they're talking about was more about the, about the mother. I, I think it's part of it, for sure. And I, I think all of us kind of seek to replace some of our parental relationships with romantic relationships as we grow older, like to as we develop new families. But I think a big part of the story is that it's Haruka's acceptance that her mother will never really be there for her, but learning that someone else could be. Right. Because at first she rejects me, true, because she's like, no one will ever love me because my mother didn't accept me. Because like, the first answer is to establish distance and that's mm-hmm. the uh, good answer coming out of that. Yeah. Then the next part, the good answer is to reduce distance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm satisfied then. Yeah. <laughs> good title. Um, good enough title. The title can stay distant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was like one of my favorite moments in the story, I just wanted to add this, is when this is something I wish I'd learned when I was much younger and that her dad shows her when she's really young is her mother forces her to get her ears pierced and it's really messed up because she doesn't want to do it. And that's a total violation of her body. Mm-hmm. But when she comes back, her dad's like, your ears look good. And she's like, no, this is really fucked up. What happened to me? And I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And it's, it's bad. And then her dad like sort of is like, you know, I'm really sorry that happened and your mother shouldn't have done that. But by the way, looking good isn't about like being pretty or accepted or feminine. Like you, you can look good and be proud of yourself without being that being like pretty or feminine. I just like really wish someone had told me that when I was that age. Cause like, dang, yeah, and, you and, know, and, and it was just like such an, I don't know. That was my favorite part of the whole story because it helped her kind of feel better about what happened to her, but also like understand that, she could care about her appearance and have that not be a feminine quality, or like even if it was, not have that be a defining aspect of her person. Uh, I'm sorry you didn't have that moment as a kid, Tori. That's probably why you don't have the cherry blossoms. <laughs> Truth. You missed it. I had that moment as an adult, but it took me until I was like 25 or something to finally be like, oh yeah, I can care about how I look and not have that be the superficial quote-unquote girl thing. But then I also had the moment where I was like, oh, right, it's not bad to do the girl thing because <laughs> girls are not bad. <laughs> and femininity is not bad. Yeah, there's so many layers. And that, that's kind of the hard thing with, like, dealing with, I don't know, like, being an AFAB person and dealing with, like, what, you know, butch lesbianism is or, like, what transness is, is it's, like, you don't, want to end up in a place where you're rejecting um, femininity from the standpoint of misogyny, Mm. basically. Which is why I don't reject it at all, but... (laughs) Well, I think that wraps it up for Distant. We'll say goodbye to Sailor Moon for however long I can manage (laughs) again this time. So this was our themed episode? Yes, this was themed uh, to come out around National Coming Out Day. Chill. Yeah. I could phrase that better, I think. Themed to come out. Grammatically awkward. (laughs) Yes, this was chosen to come out around National Coming Out Day. (laughs) I want to say Coming of Age Day because I lived in Japan too long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coming Out of Age Day. Now, that means it's coming out towards the very end of September. Which means that next month is October. 
and next episode is October. Mm-hmm. And to usher in a month of spooky Halloween-themed readings, Ooh. we are going to be reading A Night in the Lonesome October by Roger Zelazny. What? 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 Is that shocking? What what no. fan fiction is this of? Is this a... We are going to rediscover that, because I don't remember the book that well. <laughs> but I know we've got some Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and a little Dracula. And mm. some Ronald one half? <laughs> I don't remember it too well, but probably some Ronald one half, because people cross that over with anything. Ultraman? <laughs> there is also Lovecraft, but that doesn't count, for fan fiction. As I've stated before, because... Lovecraft was like, yeah, everyone, go ahead, use my stuff, write stuff with it, go for it. Shared universe. Sherlock Holmes. Is there Sherlock Holmes in it? I would not be surprised. There's very much Sherlock Holmes in it. Okay, I don't remember that. So Sherlock Holmes, and we'll see what other surprises await. But, Tori, you've read this before, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. It's also partially chosen for Tori, because I feel like we've gone 56 (laughs) episodes without having a story where the main character is a dog. And that's too long. Way too long. (laughs) I agree. So, finally, we're getting to that dog protagonist. And I do remember the protagonist of this book being a very good boy. Very good dog, yes. Yes, yes. very good dog. Very good dog. And I also want to remind people that are in the uh, Portland metro area, October 11th, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for three weeks, I'm going to be in a show in Forest Grove, Theater in the Grove. Oh, that's right. What show? Uh, South Pacific. Cross with what? <laughs> it's Rogers cross Hammerstein, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Rogers slash Hammerstein. Now, what would <laughs> what would you cross South Pacific with, Darius? <laughs> Hang on a moment. <clears throat> oh my god, that's the only person I talk to. <laughs> my five-year-old child is the only person I talk to. Wait, is there a five? No? Yeah, yeah, five now. Yeah. What would you cross South Pacific with, Dom? I'd probably cross them with other uh, works in the same Rogers Hammerstein, you know, universe. Mm. You know, you have Sound of Music. <laughs> uh, let me look up off of my memory. <laughs> How about we go Gilbert and Sullivan because the ship could be attacked by pirates of Penzance. Mm-hmm. Gilbert and Sullivan is plays are all very already much up their own ass as it is. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do Leonard and Bernstein. Okay. Rogers Cross, Bernstein Cross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's just South Pacific, just normal, boring old South Pacific. Yes. But I guess there's musical numbers and stuff. Mostly, yes. As I found out doing with the uh, main cast, not the, not the chorus, who mostly sit there and look at the main cast most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> we did uh, get Navy training, though, so we all had to learn how to stand and salute and even march to, uh, around the block once. <laughs> Oh, great. Which was totally fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we can see you do that on stage for the rest of October. Uh, starting Friday, October 11th, that's opening night for three weeks, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Theater in the Grove. In Forest Grove, yes. Theater in the Forest Grove. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, Theater in the Grove of the Forest of the Grove. It's the first show of their 50th, 50th season. And it was the wow. South Pacific was the first show that they did there. 50th season is pretty good. Yeah. yeah it's long running. Long running. And so, besides reading fan fiction, I'm going to be mostly doing rehearsals. <laughs> other than that. Other than fan fiction. Yes. Well, I can do both at the same time. <laughs> well, we certainly hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, join us next week. You know, despite being a published novel, luckily, A Night in Lonesome October is not all that long. You cannot find a link to it on the internet legally. You can see if you can turn something up. But it's also, you know, a book by a famous author. You can get it from the library or whatever. Check out your local library. And it's mm-hmm. one of Rogers Lawson's top five favorite books that he wrote. Mm. And I think the last really? one he wrote before he died. Yeah, it was one of his personal favorites. He, like, has it on record. Huh. It's a very fun book. <laughs> I, I would, um, I kept on rereading it every few years sort of book. As for this, this was episode 56 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Distant by Green Beans. Uh, you can find a link there at bit.ly slash rfrdistant, which points to the copy on the author's personal fanfiction website, which is still just there online, despite the author having been AWOL from the internet for quite some number of years. The intro song is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. 
You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. You can also find us online uh, on Facebook at Retrofanfic, on Twitter at Retrofanfic, on that other site, Reddit, at Fanfic Retrospective. <laughs> or if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, we would love to hear an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Please don't be distant. <laughs> oh, nice tie-in. <laughs> if you have any peripherally fan fiction-related zines, send them to us and we'll probably talk about it. I love that kind of stuff. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be close to each other. Until next time, take care. You're not down with the sickness? Not down. Come on, get up. Get get down with the sickness. sickness. You mutter, get up. Come on, get down with the sickness. (laughs) Open up your head. Let it fall into me. No?